way, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and verses 10 through 12 tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. That which hath been is already is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing that there are many things which increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is the good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Lord, we just pray again that you would uh, allow us um, to understand these scriptures. Sometimes these are a little more difficult uh, than other passages. But God, we know that this is your word and it's for us. Even though it was written thousands of years ago. Lord, uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Solomon, we know these things are for us. They're for our edification. I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room who does not know Jesus Christ or Savior, God, you'd help them to be saved before it's too late. I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight, give me wisdom, Lord, and be able to speak exactly what you'd have me to speak, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In his best-selling book entitled Into Thin Air, the author of this book, tells the account of an expedition to the summit of Mount Everest that took place 25 years ago. One member of the expedition was a 46-year-old Japanese woman who had a long record of accomplishments as a climber. She was renowned in her home country of Japan. Yashuka had already climbed six of the famous seven summits, representing the highest points of each of the seven continents. Far less than, so far, less than 500 people in history have climbed all seven. There was a, one summit left for her to conquer, and that was Mount Everest. This had been her lifelong goal. Her expedition team, expedition team climbed it. She pushed herself extremely hard, even jostling herself to be the lead position in the team. She wanted to get to the top of the mountain, and eventually she did as well as the entire team. Later that afternoon, uh, unfortunately, Yashaka and a number of the other climbers were caught in a sudden blinding blizzard. Temperatures fell and icy winds blew unmercifully. Sadly, having expended all her energy to get to the summit and already weakened, she succumbed to the exhaustion of the climb and she froze to death on the mountain. According to their guide, her fatal flaw was she had making a, a mist, made a mistake in her ultimate goal. She wanted to get to the top. She wanted to say victory, top of Mount, Mount Everest, and who wouldn't, naturally. But the guide said this was the wrong goal and a common fatal mistake among climbers. The guide said the goal of climbing is not to reach the summit. It's to get back down safely. The goal is not just to get there, but to get back down safely. She pursued the wrong goal. So many people in life pursue the wrong goal. We've been reading about somebody who had the wrong goal. We've been talking about Solomon. If anybody had stuff, if anybody had relationships, if anybody had prestige, it was Solomon. Remember, for those of you who are visiting, 
I'll explain that Solomon, of course, is the son of King David, even though there was an adulterous relationship between Bathsheba and David, and their child died. They did have a second child, which was Solomon. Solomon was a man of peace and ultimately able to build a temple, one of the greatest uh, temples that ever created. Much, much of it was in gold. He was given a dream by God and asked, what would you like? What would you like? What would you, give, tell, me, tell me what you would like. And instead of asking for uh, more things and more stuff and more greater, greater possessions, he asked for an understanding heart. This was in his youth. And because of that, God made him one of the wisest men that ever walked the earth. Song of Solomon was written in his youth. Proverbs was written when he was a young man and just having uh, small children. But Ecclesiastes is written at the end of his life, after he had wrecked his life. Because ultimately, as we've talked about at the first time we met, um, when he did something he should have not done. He, was, he heaped upon himself many wives. The Bible said he had 700 wives and 200 concubines. That's more cooks in the kitchen for any man, no matter how big your kitchen is. So he, in all these wives and concubines, his heart was taken away from him and given to false gods. And because of that, his kingdom was divided. Actually, he was, he was destroyed. And so he, he, he did not end well. He pursued the wrong goal in life. And so at the end of his life, I believe through the Holy Spirit of God, Solomon is allowed to write some of these things, I think, to try to encourage those who are going to come behind, behind him and try to help them because this is a, a man that's, that's seen it all, done it all, but yet is living in regret, I believe, not in bitterness. I don't believe he's bitter. I believe he's simply sharing some things that, that's going to hopefully help other people. And is this, at this midpoint, basically, of the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes a couple of reminders. And I want to give you a couple of those reminders as we th see them th this evening. Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, That which has been named already and is known, what is man? The first reminder, what has happened in the past took place under the creative authority of God. What has taken happened in the past took place under the creative authority of, of, of God. See, God is the creator. We didn't evolve. We didn't come from a big bang. We didn't come from monkeys. God, in the beginning, created the heaven and the earth. That's exactly how it was. You say, my science teacher told you this. They were told wrong, and the people behind them were told wrong, and the people behind them were told wrong, and the people behind them were told wrong. Evolution's a lie. It's the theory of evolution. It cannot be proven. I'll give you a billion dollars if you can prove it. I don't have a billion dollars, but you can't prove it. Because <laughs> it's a theory. It's, it's, but you have to have more faith in that than you have to have faith that God is a designer. We believe in, people say, well, I believe in intelligent design. I believe in intelligence. I believe in God. I believe he created all things. And he named all things the very beginning, the sixth day of creation. God creates man, calls him Adam. Eventually, he, from Adam, he, he makes Eve, calls her Eve. And what does God do for Adam? He says to Adam, you name all the animals. Uh, we, we have this idea that we come from Nathandri Nathandriols. 
That word, if and yeah, that word, that word. We come from, we, we have this idea in the world that we come from dumb folks to make smart folks. Actually, we had real smart people, and we've been getting dumber ever since. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. Everything is getting worser and worser. Well, not the quite, quite English, but it's the same idea. Things aren't getting better, folks. Things are getting worse. Things are breaking down. And that's just the truth of it. So I believe Adam was probably one of the smartest men that ever God created because he was, he was first. And he, 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 he named the orangutan. How do you name an orangutan? And a giraffe and an ostrich and an elephant and a, and a, a hippopotamus. How does he name all things? Well, he was, he was given a, a great wisdom. And, and, and then God, God changes the name of Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 17 uh, from Abram, excuse me, from Abram to Abraham and Sarah to Sarah. And he tells in, in Isaiah, we, we read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, that God creates the galaxy and planets and stars and calls them by name. Throughout the ancient world, the act of naming someone was a sign of authority over them. We find the Hebrew children in, in Babylon in Daniel's day, they're given different names. They had, they had Hebrew names, but their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus took Simon and changed his name to Peter. And here's Ecclesiastes, Solomon broadens the eye with a Hebrew construction, saying basically God has actually named everything because he is the authority over all past history. Everything, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1, 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Why do we exist? For God's pleasure. That's why we exist. We exist to glorify God for his pleasure. And dear friend, if he did not want you to exist, you would not be here today. It's not by your will or your parents' will that you are here. You are here by the miracle of birth. And it is a miracle. Mayor Henry said, we shall have what pleases God and let that please us. Let that please us. Secondly, the second reminder is what is happening in the present is taking place under the care of a sovereign God. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 10, Neither be he counted with him that is mightier than he. Let, neither let him contend. What advantage is it to argue with God? There's going to be things in life that you're not going to agree with. It's, you're, you're not. Every, not everything in life is going to go your way. Because life is, we are not the center of the universe. He's the center of the universe. He does what he pleases. And sometimes, we, sometimes in that, that goes against what we want. But do you recognize as a Christian that he still does all things well? He does all things well. No matter what we think it might be, he still does all things well. If you look down at an ant and you know that ant is busy taking one little grain of sand from one spot to the next spot, and all you have to do is just knock that pile over, and next thing you know, that, 
What are that, what's, that, what's, that, what's that ant going to do? It's not going to rise up and say, you mean human being? You know what he's going to do? He's going to get that sand and go back and do the same thing. Now that's just a small analogy of a, a larger being over a small creature, but how much and how much more complex is God than we are? Yet he does all things well. Do I understand it all? No, I don't know. I don't, and the Bible never says you have to understand it all, but it does say we trust him. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. C.S. Lewis wrote, to argue with God is to argue with the one who made it possible for you to argue. <laughs> God's the one who gave you breath. He gives you sight. He gives you hair. He gives you a nose and feet and, and legs and hands. He gives you all these things. Everything you have is a gift from God to walk and to talk and to eat and to sleep, to be, to exist. It's all him. That's why, that's why every day we live, we ought to get up, not with the pout, but with the praise. Thanking God for another opportunity to serve him, not being consumed with our problems and our, our issues and our difficulties, but that God has created us and given us opportunity to serve him and to please him. Oh, how wonderful that is. Oh, dear friend, don't argue. Don't contend with him. He does all things well. Hey, we're not even smart enough to figure out a VCR. Remember VCRs? How many hours did you spend trying to figure out those things? <laughs> and, then, and then you think you got it figured out. You know, you're going to tape something. Remember trying to tape something with a VCR, and you got home hoping to see that show, and you got there, and it didn't even work. You missed the whole thing. Well. Thank God for DVR. It's a little bit better. Easy. I don't have to touch them. They just plug them in and let them go. Wow. How things have changed. How things have changed. I read a story about a, a preacher. He just started his, his pastorate. And of course, he was busy with work and transition and everything. He moved into his new home. And he saved his heaviest piece of furniture, which was his desk, uh, from his office to last. And he was trying to push this desk on the old carpet and do it by himself. And his son comes up and says, Dad, let me try to help you. So he says, sure, son. Give me this four-year-old son. Give it everything you have. And so the son pushes and groans and moans and finally looks at the, at the dad and says, Dad, you're in the way. You know, that's sometimes what we do, don't we? We think, we think, we think God's in the way, but God's, he, he's, he's, go, he's control of all of it. He's, he's making it happen. You know, he's working it all out in perfection, the way it's supposed to be. What will happen in the future will take place under the comprehensive wisdom of God. We see in verse 12, for who knoweth what is good for man in his life, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth out of the shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be under the sun? So let me look at, break down these couple of last questions as we look at these. Number, question number, number one, who knows what's best in this life? Where are you going to get, where are you going to get, where are you going to get the answer for that? Where are you going to find that? You're going to find it in some book in the library? You're going to find it online? 
You're going to call some friend? You're going to, you're going to call the hotline? You're going to look in some horoscope and try to figure out what's best for man? No, I can tell you how do you know what's best for man? For man, who knows? Well, God knows what's best for us. That's why we encourage you to read the Word of God, because this is God's Word for man. As you know it and study it and memorize it and meditate upon it, you understand the very mind of, mind of God. That's why we, we need to know it. Now, you, you're going to have all types of questions for life, and people, people are not going to know <laughs> the answers for it. Your teenagers are going to think you're crazy sometimes, right? They're going to think you're old fogies and out of step for, for, in life for what you do and what you tell them to do, uh, you know, about so many different issues in life. But, dear friend, you don't have to run, you don't have to run and Google it. You just have to go to God. What does the Bible say? What, 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 what does the Word of God say? When you're talking to your kids, you go, always go back to a standard. See, if you leave your standard, you have nowhere else to go. We stick to the standard. What does the Bible say? You don't have to give your opinions. Give, give, give the truth from the Word of God. See, nothing, no one's older than God. So His Word and His way is always going to be true. So what Solomon asked, who knows what is good for man while he lives life as brief, briefly as passing shadow? Who's, who, who can know? Well, God knows. Second question is, who knows what's beyond this life? Again, you can search the stars. You can go into astrology. You can look at different things and say, well, it says, who can tell what shall be after him under the sun? Nimrod in Genesis chapter 11 tried to get to the place where he built a tower with all the people. Remember the Tower of Babel? He tried to get to God, to try to get to a place where he would, they, would, they would indwell the heavens. They would finally get there. And it's been discovered even, even since now that different uh, structures uh, have been found like this. 400 years before the birth of Christ, I read a historian named Herodias wrote that these ziggurats dotted the landscape were topped by uh, religious shrines, brightly tiled and painted with astral signs of the zodiac, which originally created by Nimrod. So the Tower of Bible will pass down into the ancient e Egypt. And you go to Egypt, you looked at those things as I saw them back in January. You see them, and what were they for? Where were they? They were built primarily to house the, the bodies of the pharaohs. We were thinking about wanting to go down there and see those tombs, but the guide said, no, 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 don't go down there. Don't, don't go down there. We, I wish we would have went down there now. I wish we would paid the little extra money to go down there and see some of those things, but we didn't. But those things, what were they, what were they built? Not just for, the, of course, the people then, but for the idea that these, these bodies would be housed for later on. We see the, the sphinx with the head of a woman and the body of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a lion, the head of a woman, symbolizing Virgo, the sign of the zodiac, Leah, representing the last sign of the zodiac. And interesting enough, as you see those structures, all of them have their nose cut off. And I asked, we asked the question, why is that? Because a conquering army came in and cut off their nose, meaning they cut off their, their symbol of power. But all these were built, ultimately, not just for them, but for people in the future, believing there was going to be an afterlife that, who's, that's going to come. 
Now, all these different things, whether you, you look at the Tower of Babel or uh, you look at the, the pyramids of the day, we see these things and people wonder about them and what future they may hold. But who ultimately knows the future? God does. God knows the future. And if you want to know the future, friend, all you have to do is read the Bible and see what it says. We look at the millennial kingdom, the final judgment of the, of the unredeemed, destruction of the earth. We see it described throughout the scriptures. We see it in, in, in Ezekiel. We see it in Daniel. We see it in Revelation, of course. We read in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, And I saw heaven and earth, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears of their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. There shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And the he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of, of life freely. So what can we understand? The best way to understand the past is to trust him, him who has the authority over it. The best way to handle the present is to walk with him because he has control of it. And the best way to prepare for the future is to look to him because one day he will lead you into it. It all goes back to believing and trusting in the sovereign hand of God. Do you believe it? Do you trust it? Do you believe this book? Is it more than just words to you? Is it more than just a Sunday school lesson to you? Is it your life? As it is your life and you do more than just read it and comprehend it and you live it, it helps you in the daily struggles of life. Oh, there are going to be struggles, yes. Are there going to be questions you, don't, you can't answer? Well, surely so. But the end, dear friend, of course, is not just heaven. Well, that's, that is, in a sense, the end. But it's how we get to that end. You see, our goal for us is not just to get to heaven. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and I hope every one of you do, you're going to heaven. The Bible promises it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I hope you know that because that's the very beginning. Without that, without knowing Christ, <laughs> there is no heaven for you. For Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's not many ways to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Salvation is not Confucius. Salvation is not Muhammad. Salvation is not in more money. Salvation is not more education. Salvation is not in more things. Salvation is not in more human relationships. Salvation is only through Christ. He's the only way to heaven. And all of us, who are here tonight, especially on this Wednesday night, most of us, if not all of us, know that. And we're on our way to heaven. If Christ was to come break through that sky and the trumpet was blown, we would be with him. But I wonder how would we be going through that? How would we end up our lives? Because the goal is not just heaven. The goal is how are we going to end before we get to heaven? How are we going to end it? 
Are we going to get in, as the Bible says, yet so as by fire? As the old saying, by the skin of our teeth, in a sense. Oh, we're saved. But we've not been living like we're saved. Oh, oh, oh I, I know Jesus. But we've not been living like we know Jesus. How will you end? Yes. Yes, I hope heaven. But how will you end your life? Are you going to end well? Are you going to end well? If today was your last day, would you be satisfied with your, where you are in your Christian life? If today was your last. If this was it. If this was all, if it was all over today. Could you say with all honesty, you're satisfied to the best of your ability by the grace of God where where you are spiritually? Could you say that? Say, preacher, I couldn't say that. Well, if you can't say that, well, how about do something about that? Hopefully, we have time. You know, when I studied, when I, I, at the very beginning of uh, college, they give you a syllabus, and they tell you when that exam's going to be. They let you know it ahead of a time, and they give you all the assignments. They tell you everything's about it, and they tell you when it's going to come. Now, you can foolishly wait to the last minute and say, I think I'll study it and pull an all-nighter. And many a person has, and, and some of them wish they'd never done that. Or they could have prepared themselves for the end. The question is, are you prepared for the end? Because the end is coming. Do we know when the end is going to be? Well, surely we don't. But we know the end is coming. And knowing it is coming, and we believe the imminent return of Jesus Christ, meaning it could happen any day, why not be ready now? Why not prepare yourself now? Why not do everything you can by the grace of God to be right with God and right with other people and ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the goal is not just the end in heaven. The goal is when I meet Jesus Christ, and I'm, am I going to be glad or am I going to be sad? I believe there will be millions of Christians who meet Jesus Christ but because of their deportment in this life. When they meet him, they will be sad. Because they could have lived a better life. They had the knowledge. They had the ability. But they chose not to. What's your choice? You can't change the past. can't change what you did yesterday. can't even change what you did this morning. But you know what you can do? You can change from this point on. You can be different from this point on than you were today or yesterday or last week. A lot of people live their life. Oh, preacher, it doesn't matter how we live the Christian life as long as we're Christians. When you meet God, you'll think different. Because what the Bible says. We'll be different. We'll be glad or we'll be sad. How will you meet him? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray, God, that our lives will be more than just getting there, more than just crossing the line. But by the grace of God, we love, we'll look forward to his appearing like Paul did. We won't dread that day. We won't be sad of that day because we just wasted our days. We lived a life of disobedience and wickedness just trying to make it happen. Oh, God, speak to us. 
help us, challenge us. May we choose to be better. May we not compare ourselves with the other person in the pew or with our parents or with the pastor, with anybody else, save Jesus Christ alone. Oh, God, help us to live a godly life, well-pleasing to you. Whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, may we do all, may we do all to the glory of God. Head bowed, eyes closed. Would you say, preacher, I know today, if, I'm, if I were to die today, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. Oh, how wonderful that is. But maybe you're here today and say, preacher, I could not say that. If I had to die today, I, w- I could not say I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all say, preacher, if I died today, I'm, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but I want to. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to have any doubt in my mind. I don't want to have any question in my mind. I want to know for sure that if I died, I'd be in heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that this evening? Anybody at all? I'm not sure if, I'm, if I was to die the day I'd go to heaven, but I want to be sure. Anybody like that at all this evening? Anybody at all? How about today, preacher? You said, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but I'm not what I should be spiritually. There's some areas in my life that the Holy Spirit spoke to me about, even as you're preaching, things I need to change. Maybe, maybe in your habits, maybe in your hobbies, maybe in things you see or don't see or listen to or focus on or allow your mind to to wander and, and dwell on, which is destroying you. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, as a woman thinketh in his, her heart, so is he, so is she. Oh God, help us to think about things, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have alert our sight. Preacher, there's an area in my life I want to change. By the grace of God, would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this evening? Maybe your thought life, maybe just a, a way you're living, maybe a habit or hobby. Let's stand to our feet this evening. If the God has spoken in your heart, this altar is open this evening. The altar is open. Oh, help us to end well, Father. Help us to end well. If you're here tonight and you couldn't honestly say it right now, if I stood before God, I don't know if I'd be, I don't know if I'd be sad or glad. Oh, dear friend, if you knew you'd be sad, would you come and just say, God, I need a change in my life. I need to change. There's some things I need to change. My actions, my attitude. Maybe you have a bad attitude, bad attitude at work, bad attitude at home. Hey, whether you're 55 or 55, we ought not have a bad attitude. We ought to be people who have joy and love and forgiveness. As the piano plays, maybe God has spoken to your heart. The altar's open this evening. Would you come and do business with God? Whatever that is, whatever that struggle, whatever that need, whatever that problem, listen to that still, small voice. And make a decision to do something about it. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not if somebody else does it first. You, dear friend, you. Ask the Spirit of God to speak to you.